Well, again, welcome to all our visitors. We are really delighted that you are here this morning as we celebrate the most foundational event of our Christian faith, what theologians call the incarnation and what we call Christmas, the birth of of Christ. Many many scenes can be used to describe this Christmas time caroling, uh, Hallmark movies, decorating the tree, snow, family gatherings, meals together, Christmas parties, music as well as things like stress and loneliness and family dramas and crowded shopping malls and of course depression. As Charles Dickens so famously once said, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And as it turns out, Christmas joy can be a very elusive thing. I was reading the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes from the past and poor Poor Calvin Hobbes is reading an article to him. He says, this article says that many people find Christmas the most stressful time of the year. This little boy, Calvin, says, I believe it. This season sure fills me with stress. Hobbes goes, really? How come? Calvin says, I hate being good. (laughs) We... We look forward to this time every year, but what, what is Christmas all about? Of course, the predictable answers always come forth. Peace, giving, love, children, gifts, families, and there's no other event actually in, in our lives, I think, in which almost everyone participates in the same activity at the same time every year. Birthdays, anniversaries, deaths, marriages, other holidays. These, these are experienced by groups or by individuals. But, but Christmas touches everyone, every person. It seems that it's, it's something to almost everyone around the world. But does Christmas, does Christmas truly have any real meaning deeper than the exchange of gifts on Christmas morning and the carols that we sing and the the generosity that we express in sharing meals with those less fortunate or sharing um, material things with those less fortunate, uh, offerings of peace and and then the hope that, you know, people will be really Christmas kind all year long, which we rarely experience. Uh, For some, I think, if not many, sadness comes because they're painfully aware that Christmas just doesn't last. You got to wait 364 days for it to show up all over again. One one man made a comment on this. He says, when I was a child, Christmas seemed to die every year by bedtime on December 25th. The anticipation seemed long, the realization all too brief. I even tried wrapping up my presents again and opening them the following day. But my childhood disappointment could not be relieved. It was gone for another whole year. Christmas Christmas can be elusive for some, but Christmas does have meaning. It's why we are here. It has a a far deeper and far more joyful and much longer lasting meaning that we are able to experience. We must rediscover for some and recapture for others the true meaning by going back to the beginning and looking at what I'm titling this morning, The Mystery of Christmas and the Wonder of Christmas. 
the mystery of Christmas and the wonder of Christmas. The mystery of Christmas is simply this. Why the incarnation? And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, he's writing to the the Corinthian church and he is encouraging them to be as giving sacrificially as the Macedonian church, which was going through a real time of, of... of downtrodden um, financial issues. And so Paul is writing the Corinthian church. He's saying, here's an example for you. You know, this Macedonian church, they just, they just give to the poor, even out of their poor, their, you know, their poverty. They're, they're very generous. But then Paul goes on and says, but let me give you the example of giving. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Last Christmas, a grandfather was feeling his age and found that shopping for Christmas gifts had become just a bit too difficult. So he decided to send checks to everyone instead. And in each card he wrote, buy your own present, with an exclamation point, and mailed them early. He enjoyed the usual flurry of family festivities, and it was only after Christmas that he noticed that he had received very few cards in return. Puzzled over this, he went to his study, intending to write a couple of his relatives to ask what had happened. It was then that he discovered, as he cleared off his desk, the answer. Under a stack of papers, he was horrified to find the gift checks, which he had forgotten to enclose with the cards. (laughs) Mystery solved. (laughs) But not every mystery can be solved. And the one that comes with Christmas is the most puzzling mystery of all. How does one explain God coming to earth and becoming a man? How can we understand that the one who had the greatest wealth of all in heaven came to earth in poverty, hiding his divinity and the rich grace and covering himself in human flesh? In this life, we we can't. But not being able to solve this mystery is not the end of the story. The Bible tells us why it happened tells us why the mystery of Christmas happened. And there are passages that can help us make sense of the incarnation. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' birth that occurred more than 2,000 years ago, what we just sang about a few moments ago. Yet it's a story that is repeatedly told every year. And every year, the entire world feels the weight and the effect of this story. Two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, tell in some detail how God the Son came into the world. He was born outside a small inn in an obscure village named Bethlehem in the great days of the Roman Empire. And each Christmas when the story is read, this this experience is prettied up. It's, It's actually rather a crude and cruel story. The reason Jesus is born outside in a filthy manger is because the inn is full and no one had the decency to offer a woman in labor a bed. Imagine that. Now, 
telling Marilyn this on the way here this morning, and her remark was, well, yeah, but think about her having to ride a donkey for four days, nine months pregnant. That is, that is what this woman was experiencing. The gospel writers are, are alluding to this. This baby is born in a cattle stall. And he's placed in a, in a small cattle trough. Now the gospel writers aren't writing this, focusing on these sad details to draw sympathy from us but simply to set the stage and explain what is happening at the moment. The story is not about the circumstances, it's about the identity of the one who was born. John, in his gospel, simply says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. A strange saying for those who are not familiar with the Bible. What what does it mean, the word became flesh? And that's the Christmas story. God took on Humanity. He became human. He wore human flesh. He felt what it was like. He experienced what it's like to be us. The incarnation simply means God became a man by literally taking on human flesh. Now, God the Son... Think about it. God the Son who made man soon learned what it was like and felt what it was like to be a man. But why? Why the incarnation? Why did Jesus come? Well, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, so that by you, by his poverty, might become rich. So that you, by Christ's poverty, by him emptying himself of all that was heavenly. Not his divinity, but all the wealth of heaven. And bearing our poverty. Now we were, we were poor. Not necessarily materially, but spiritually. Isaiah 9-2 that Devin just read a moment ago. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. This passage tells us that humanity lives in darkness. How grateful we are to have electricity to to light our our homes and and to light our lives. But, But there is a deep darkness that covers our earth, my friends, that no light can overcome. There is a darkness in the human heart that no light can shine into. A darkness that leads to depression and despair. A darkness that leads to discouragement. A darkness that sets people on a path that is destructive. A deep darkness that no light can shine on. And it is into that darkness that Christ has come. And that deep darkness began a long, long time ago when God created Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2, God creates Adam and places him in this beautiful garden named Eden, a place that is pure and peaceable and tranquil and filled with the presence and light of God. There is no darkness. There's no darkness around Adam. There's no darkness in his heart. It is a place of beauty and light. And then God creates Eve, which makes it even more beautiful. And it lights up 
Adam's eyes, not just his heart, it lights up his eyes. And he looks and they enjoy the beauty and the wonder of unhindered relationship with God. That is the Garden of Eden. They are created in the image of God. They find their true identity in the image of God. They become worshipers of God. They become subjects of this gracious and loving and good king. But Satan comes along and he deceives them with a promise of pleasure in having a new identity. Rather than serving God, they can become like God. They can become just like God. And at that tragic moment, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, rebelling against God and ruining the world he created for them. Now, having disobeyed God, they now have a new identity. They're called sinners. And their once glorious image is grossly distorted. And the light that was in their hearts goes dark. Everything has changed. A curse has come upon humanity as Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. And they lose that unhindered relationship with God. And from this point forward, all humanity forever is plunged into the greatest darkness of sin and all its destructive and evil effects that it has upon this world. The effects of the curse of sin, which are suffering and anguish and fear and depression and hate and war and crime and sickness and ultimately death. This is everyone's poverty. No one is exempt. This is everyone's poverty, yours and mine, the whole world's. And no one can reverse this curse because all bear the guilt of sin. But there is one man, the God-man, Jesus, who does not bear the guilt of sin. And scripture says he is the great light. He is the light of the world. And he came to rescue us from this deep darkness. Matthew 1.21, the writer Matthew says this, speaking of the incarnation, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, not God separated from, as in the garden, not God separated from heaven and earth, but God with us. In God, the Son, who took on flesh, who wore our poverty. How, how God becomes a man is forever a mystery. How he can be both fully man and fully God at the same time is forever a mystery. But why he came is not a mystery. Jesus entered an impoverished world to offer humanity, you and me, the rich gift of salvation found only in him. In 
chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know? What grace is that? That is the grace of salvation. That is the grace of Christ bearing our sins on the cross on our behalf. That is Christ dying in our place. That is Christ rising from the dead and offering us eternal life, offering us new life. That is Christ coming to earth on our behalf. And for those who know Christ, Christmas is all about celebrating the grace that has come. And for those who have not been born again, for those who have not been born again, as John the Apostle teaches in his gospel, they are still separated from the grace of God. Still separated from his rich inheritance of being forgiven by of their sin, of being declared a child of God, of of receiving the gift of eternal life, but rather receiving God's judgment for their sin. Listen, my friends, Jesus gave up everything when he was incalculably rich to give us life. This is why he came, and that is why he took our flesh. And that is a mystery that is solved for us. Secondly, there's the wonder of Christmas. How he does it. How he saves from sin. Second Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, on your behalf, he became poor. Not that he gave up his Mercedes, and his He gave up heaven. He gave up all his heavenly glory to walk on a filthy earth. This is the wonder of all wonders that God became a man. Jesus coming to earth as a baby to live among our world that is suffering and agonizing and dying under the weight of sin is a staggering story. And he came as a baby. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to grow. All with one place in mind. Bethlehem is only the beginning of the story. It's a story that doesn't end until Jesus lays hanging and bleeding and dying on a cross for the sins of the world. My friends, from the first step of the incarnation to the crucifixion and finally to his resurrection, this passage in 2 Corinthians 8 explains how God saves humanity from such great darkness and ultimate penalty of sin, which is eternal judgment and death for our sake. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... For God so loved the world, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Not rich materially, but rich spiritually. That the darkness in your heart will have the light of Christ dispelling it for all time. 
Jesus became poor by giving up his heavenly glory for our earthly filth. You think about that. He came to live in our world, our flesh. He faced our temptations without sinning. And then he took upon himself all our sins, past, present, and future. He was punished for our sins. He paid our debt. He became poor by becoming one of us. He wore our flesh. He was tempted like we were yet without sin. And he died for our sins. Paul makes this point earlier in 2 Corinthians when he says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. His poverty is taking on our sin. Our riches, he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. He declared us righteous. He forgave us. He cleansed us. He declared us as one of his. And he promised to be with us forever. When we come to Christ and when we believe in him and when we repent of our sin and we follow him, we are no longer poor. We are rich in Christ. We have new life. We have eternal life. My friends, Jesus' birth, it is not some miracle of nature, but an act of the grace of God. His poverty was his humility in the incarnation and life and in his obedience to death. The wonder of Christmas. My friends, we we see it every day during these weeks as bright colored lights that adorn all these houses and trees, decorations overflowing in the shopping malls as sparkling white tinsels flow around doorways and counters. We see a reminder every day painted in in vivid colors of of angels and and mangers, nativities, three wise men and, and many colored wrapped gifts. But the wonder of Jesus' birth It's much quieter, with no fanfare. Nonetheless, it is a staggering, and it is a stunning story that far exceeds the portrait that our culture paints of Christmas. The incarnation, Jesus leaving heaven to live with us for the sole purpose of ultimately making his way to the cross at Calvary is the most wondrous moment of all. That is the grace of God appearing. At the end of the story, at the end of the Christmas story, listen, this, this appears in no children's book, but at the end of the Christmas story, evil is defeated. Death is defeated. And true hope is offered But many, many in our day only see the incarnation as just weird religion. The only people who believe this backwoods religion are are rednecks and village idiots. It's much easier to, it's much easier just to ignore Christ than to believe in him. But that's what many do. And if they do believe in God, they want God to be put into a manageable box. That They don't want a God who bumps up against their independence. It's why Christmas is shallow to so many. And it's why by the end of the evening on December 25th, so many feel empty. This was it. I did all that for this. 
I fought the crowds for this. I got bleary-eyed looking at Amazon for this. (laughs) What about your life now? How's it working out for you? Jesus brought hope in his coming because all these things listed as poverty, not material poverty, is the poverty of an eternal soul. Poverty of emotions, poverty of fears that paralyzes, so many fears and pains too numerous to mention. Is, is that what you're trading off? Is that what you're, you'd rather have than Christ? The grace that Paul speaks of here is of Christ's saving grace. Remember, by his poverty, he took our poverty. He left heaven that we might be rich, that we might experience ultimately the place of incalculable wealth and beauty and purity and peace, a place called heaven. He became human and experienced every facet of our lives. What we see, what we hear, what we feel, except sin. The incarnation, the Christmas story, is the beginning of an amazing and a dark but ultimately wondrous story that ends not at the cross, but for those who have trusted in Christ, it ends with him. In heaven, God dwelling with us, not in poverty anymore, but in the richness of his grace and his love. Because when we come to Christ, he forgives our sins and he changes our lives forever. My friends, that is the mystery and wonder of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Christ to live among us. Thank you that he, in humility, put aside all his heavenly glory, all his heavenly wealth to bear our poverty and our sin that we might, by his grace, become rich. Thank you. May this day and this coming Christmas day once again be a day of celebrating the glory of the given Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.